Welcome fellow horror hounds and welcome to the latest episode of Talk and Stalk, your unholy home for horror. I'm your host as always, Barry, and today's podcast is devoted to a cult horror movie released in 1962, Carnival of Souls. Now, Carnival of Souls is a film that actually received very little attention upon release, but over the years it has actually garnered a cult following and is now actually widely regarded by many to to be a classic. Um, It was directed by Herc Harvey, who I believe this is the only film credit to his name. This is his one and only film. And uh, this is just an example of low-budget filmmaking, really, kind of at its finest. Um, You know, this is very much a cult classic. Uh, There wasn't even many people working on this film. I believe Herc Harvey's crew only consisted of five other people besides himself. And I think they actually raised the funds for this movie over the course of a, I believe it was a weekend, a couple of days or something. Um, This movie, what I really like about this film is the very Twilight Zone aesthetic. This movie is essentially kind of an extended Twilight Zone episode. Uh, The blood, you know, the black and white low budget just kind of adds to the film's atmosphere and creepiness. Um, I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan, as I've probably mentioned nine million times before. It is my all-time favourite TV series and without a doubt one of the most influential shows of all time. And this very much feels like the Twilight Zone. And I do believe um, an episode from season one called The Hitchhiker, which is actually a personal favourite of mine, um, was actually kind of the influence Um, behind Carnival of Souls, um, that episode did actually prove to be uh, an inspiration somewhat. Um, So what we get in this film, now, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're kind of in this age where audiences have become a lot more savvy. I think you'd very quickly realise the kind of outcome to this film. Uh, Basically, there's a bit of a, a drag race that goes on very early on in this film, um, and a car, you know, plummets into the water, and there's there's one survivor, a young woman that actually comes out, and you know she actually survives. Um, but during the course of the movie, she starts to see strange things and experience strange things. Um, she's being uh, seemingly haunted, stalked by this uh, this unknown. Uh, phantom, this ghoul-looking being, who was actually played by Herc Harvey, the director-producer himself. Um, so yeah, she uh, during the course of the film, she actually experiences uh, this kind of phantom being seeing her. And there's actually a couple of moments in the film where she actually loses, uh, she can't actually hear anyone, and nobody can actually hear or see her. It's almost like she doesn't exist. And of course... You know, I'm sure everybody would work out that she's actually dead. Well, I believe that she's actually caught kind of between the land of the living and the dead, um, you know, in this film. And, uh, yeah, she obviously doesn't realise it. And what's really kind of notable in this film as well is she's very cold. She seems to be a very kind of cold, despondent person. Now... I don't actually know if it's be- this is because of the situation that she's in and that's because she's essentially dead and maybe she's lost her soul. I'd be intrigued to see what she was like before the accident. Um, it's like when she pulls into the gas station and the guy says to her, you know, what do you want? And she's just, fill her up. And I'm like, what, 
guy doesn't even get a, a please or, or anything. Um, and then when she goes to actually stop in um, this, uh, I think like a small B&B or something, uh, you know, she's renting a room and the woman says to her like, oh, we've got some sandwiches here to make you. You can have this. And she's like, oh, good. I'm going... Again, not even a thank you or a please. And there's even a couple of characters in the film that actually kind of make this acknowledgement and realise that she's very kind of cold. Um, you know, when, when for example, she decides to leave her job, as she's actually a church organist. And that's one thing I do actually like with this film. There's a, an organ um, theme that actually accompanies much of the movie, and it's very simple but really quite effective. It's quite it's quite creepy. Uh, there's a moment in the film where she's actually it's almost as if she's possessed, and she starts playing this song um, on the organ, and she's like not in control of herself. And uh, I think one of the creepiest moments in the film actually is where we see this kind of wide-eyed character, you know, her staring and. She's got the, the phantom man, you know, slowly walking towards her. And we just kind of see this this reaction of her. Um, but she turns around to, you know, she's leaving one job to go to another to be at a church or, you know, to be a, a church organist elsewhere. And, um, you know, the, the priest actually says to her, look, feel free to come back to the church in time. She just turns around. And she's like, I won't be coming back. And there's a real kind of cold, callous nature to this woman. Um, and she's actually, during the course of the film, she's being pursued by this guy who has to be one of the most, um, how do I put it, uh, he, he's just so chasing her, like, honestly, he's so goddamn persistent, that's the word I'm looking for, so persistent, uh, he won't take no for an answer, and he's a bit of a... Yeah, a little bit of a sleep. There's a there's a moment in the film where he's kind of like, you know, she's getting undressed and he's trying to catch a catch a look, you know, through the through the creak of the door and all that. And he just won't take no for an answer. He's desperately quite similar to uh, a guy in 1965's Repulsion. Um, Repulsion, a classic psychological horror film, obviously directed by Roman Polanski. There's a guy in that film that is constantly chasing Catherine Deneuve's character throughout the course of the film, and he's just, I think these guys think perseverance is going to pay off. Do you know what I mean? But that's kind of the thought process that a stalker goes through, surely. Um, but during the course of the film, she's actually... Um, she's kind of drawn to this amusement park that she passes. There's something kind of luring her in. And it was a real abandoned amusement park, in fact. Um, I believe it actually burned down in... I think it was like 1967 or something. And it was rebuilt, but on a smaller scale. Um, so basically, uh, I think it's kind of just a small venue for like music acts and all that now. Um, but yeah, really kind of creepy set. And there's a couple of moments in the film in which he actually walks into this, into this kind of abandoned carnival. And of course the carnival starts playing up and we start to see all of these ghoul like figures. And this movie as well proved to be, uh, really influential. The likes of George A. Romero and David Lynch, have actually cited this film as an inspiration for their... I mean, David Lynch um, is a very unique filmmaker. He's very much an acquired taste. Love him or hate him, there's no denying he, he's a unique filmmaker. But George A. Romero had actually said that I believe the ghouls, the looks of the ghouls in this film, are actually what inspired the looks of the zombies in the classic 1968 uh, Night of the Living Dead. So, yeah, she's drawn to this carnival, and... You know, the very first moment that we actually get to see um, 
the ghoul figure in this film, played by Herc Harvey, um, is where she's actually driving along late at night and we get this image of his face, just for a few seconds, kind of like uh, through, the, through the window of the door. Um, the car door it's you know it's kind of it's kind of creeping there's another moment um not too much longer is is where she's actually she's renting the room she goes into the room and we actually see the figure behind the curtains um which again kind of reminded me long before 1978's halloween there's a moment in that film where we see michael myers kind of stood behind the curtains i'm not sure if carpenter looked at that as an inspiration but it, it's a very kind of similar kind of shot and there's also another moment as well where uh, she's in the, uh, you know, she's in the new place that she's actually renting. And there's actually, we see the ghoul-like figure at the bottom of the stairs and he's looking up and then walking. And then, of course, we get told that there's no one else actually in the house. So, you know, she must be going crazy. Something, you know, there's, there's something wrong here. Um, and uh, she actually meets a doctor. And, uh, you know, she sees the figure. We don't see the figure, but obviously she sees the figure. And she runs away while she's at this water fountain. She bumps into a doctor and he claims that, you know, it hasn't been long since her car accident and that. And she's still in shock. And obviously it's caused a lot of trauma. And this is probably the reason for her hallucinations. And this is where it kind of gets to the core of the character as well. Because he, I think he asks about relationships. And she says she's never had belonging of a human, uh, of a man. You know, relationships are just nothing that she's ever desired. And she doesn't particularly, she doesn't like the company of other people. Um, so, I mean, she's certainly not a people person. <laughs> that much is very apparent very early on in this film. But as I said, maybe, I don't know if that's anything pertaining due to what's actually happened to her. And, you know, she actually gets described as being a strange one, you know, later on, uh, later on in the film. Um, you know, as I said, I really like the, the very kind of Twilight Zone aesthetics. If you just kind of switch this on at the TV, um, you'd assume it was probably an episode of the Twilight Zone. And from what I also know as well, um, the film was originally released on a double bill with The Devil's Messenger. Um... Uh, which was basically kind of a TV pilot, I think, for a Swedish horror show. But this film, like I said, got very little attention upon release. Um, I also think that there was actually an original cut of the film actually run for 84 minutes. Now, admittedly, I've only seen the 78-minute version. Um, it's kind of a short and sweet kind of movie. Um, but uh, I think that Herc Harvey, the director, actually got the idea for this whole movie... Uh, when he was actually driving past the Solterra Amusement Park, where it was actually filmed while he was travelling through Salt Lake, Salt Lake City. I think there was actually three filming locations um, for this movie. And, you know, a lot of the people in the film were actually kind of locals, you know, people that hadn't actually appeared in films prior. I mean, this was very much kind of a, you know, they had very little money to spend. They just wanted to make a scary movie, you know, a creepy film with the little money they had. And, you know, there was actually a remake. Less said about that, the better. Uh, I believe it was released in, I think it was 98. And uh, there really is no kind of connection to it whatsoever. Except in title, which presumably was used as a selling point. Because already at this point, Carnival of Souls was very much a cult horror film. And uh, the ending... You know, the ending is similar, but the movie itself is almost uh, completely different. And this is a film that ended up in the public domain. Uh, it didn't acquire rights. Um, so it is one of them films that has actually been seen 
uh, many times in TV and film. Not as much as Night of the Living Dead, because I'm sure a lot of people realise that Night of the Living Dead is part of the public domain as well. I mean, you know, if I got a pound every time Night of the Living Dead was seen in a TV show or a horror film, um, I'd, I'd probably be rich. And I think the whole movie was actually filmed in just uh, just three weeks, I believe it was. Um, but yeah, the, you know, getting back to the scene with like the psychiatrist. Uh, well, he's not a psychiatrist, actually, a doctor. And uh, I think she actually says, because there's a couple of moments in the film, like I said, where nobody can hear her, she can't hear anything. And she says that it was more than not being able to hear anything or make contact. It was though she didn't exist, like she has no place in the world. And that's obviously because I believe firmly believe that she's in limbo. You know, at the end of the movie, um, we actually get this... Uh, we see the scene, we see the current, and basically there's these footprints leading away. And then they just go nowhere. They've completely vanished. And we actually see her body in the car with her friends. So she obviously died and was in this state of limbo... Um, you know, during the course of the movie. And, uh, you know, there, there's another scene as well, which, you know, it's kind of creepy. I mean, you, you got to bear in mind, this is very kind of like, you know, low budget. I think certainly for its time, it's 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 an effective film. Um, it's the scene where she actually, uh, you know, the, the guy that won't leave her alone, basically. I mean, I don't think this was ever going to be a relationship. You know, she actually says kind of very little in the movie. You know, she's clearly not interested. Except when she's actually scared. When she realises that she's actually scared, she decides that, do you know what, this guy could kind of uh, come in handy, keep me company. And she actually pleads for him in the end. But there's a scene where he sneaks up on her, uh, well, comes up to her, and uh, she's sitting there by the mirror. And as she looks into the mirror, she sees it's the phantom stood there. And she, yeah, needless to say, panics. Another moment as well is when she actually got um, her car's faulty and she actually takes her car into the garage and, uh, you know, the car's getting looked at. And then, of course, I quite like the shot, actually. There's a shot of a figure that comes through the door and obviously it's presumably uh, the ghoul and then gets low down and she does a runner. And, uh, yeah, during the whole course of this movie, she is being followed by this ghoul figure, which, again, as I said, is, is quite similar to the Twilight Zone episode, The Hitchhiker in which the lead character um, is being pursued by this hitchhiker who's constantly beckoning to, beckoning to her. Now, you know, because we've seen countless TV shows and films since, yeah, I don't think it takes long to realise that they're probably dead. But, you know, back in the day, um, you know, this isn't something that was seen too often, the whole kind of like... I mean, The Sixth Sense really kind of like commercialised it in 99 with the lead character of Malcolm Crow actually turning out to be dead. It was a it was a big twist ending, but that even adopted it from the likes of, you know, The Hitchhiker in the Twilight Zone and uh, Carnival Assaults. Um, but as I said, you know, this film was in the... Uh, I believe it was filmed in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and also uh, Utah as well. Um, now, I believe as well... <laughs> For car enthusiasts out there, I mean, I wouldn't notice, but the car that she actually drives, the, the 1960 Chevrolet, um, is actually a different car to the car that actually goes off the bridge. I think that's a, like a 1949 Chevrolet. Um, and then there was a 35 Chevrolet actually used in the drag race at the very beginning. And that's the film. This film takes no time 
in getting going. This film literally starts. You get the opening credit. I think actually the opening credits come after the drag race, in fact. It literally opens with the drag race. Um, but there were actually three cars that she was actually driving. Now, I also read somewhere recently that the uh, the Simpsons producer and writer, Dana Gold, a long time um, collaborator, you know, worker on The Simpsons, a uh, long time horror fan, and this is actually one of his all time favourite horror movies, I believe. As I said, this film definitely does have um, a cult following, and I believe one of the stars of the film, I believe it was the guy that was pursuing her, did actually appear, did star in the 98 remake, but uh, we're not going to talk about that film anymore. Um, so I think the budget to this film was, I believe it was like 33000 as well. Um, as I say, it wasn't a box office success, but over the years, and I think that's probably down to word of mouth and uh, many subsequent TV showings, it was really with many showings on television that this film really started to pick up in popularity. Um, you know, and... Uh, it's a film that I really like. I, I It's one of my favourite 60s horror films. Um, there's not many 60s horror films that I would actually put over this. I mean, there are some, you know, the likes of uh, Night of the Living Dead and Psycho and uh, maybe even Repulsion. Um, but this is one of the better 60s horror films, in my opinion. Um, as I said, I'm a huge fan of The Twilight Zone. And I just love the fact that this is very kind of... This is one of the most Twilight Zone-esque movies out there and there's a few other films even more modern films i could recommend to anyone that's a fan of the twilight zone um everything from triangle which i believe was 2009 uh coherence which is actually a pretty good film a very kind of mind-bending movie as well um even dead end released in 2003 i actually think is a really good film um and again that one that kind of flew under the radar uh, but it's just good to know that this film does actually have um, a fan base out there. And uh, Herc Harvey, one and only film. One and only film he ever made. Um, and, uh, you know, the organ score as well. Uh, you don't really hear that too often in a movie. I've certainly not seen many horror films where the whole score is completely done um, with an organ. Um, and uh, I think after this, actually... Uh, I believe Herc Harvey had actually went back to... I think he was... He used to be, like, a director and producer of kind of, like, industrial and educational films. And he just wanted to make a movie. I mean, he just kind of wanted to make one movie and then ended up going back to his previous job of, you know, industrial... But this is a film that has actually played quite an important part in horror. And uh, I would recommend to anyone that really likes or loves this film to, to own the Criterion... Uh, collection blu-ray it's great they've done a fantastic job um with the restoration um and uh yeah i think i mean that's pretty much all i really want to kind of talk about on carnival of souls it's a good cult horror film uh love the black and white i, I just love black and white um i think there's a real kind of purity to black and white uh be it twilight zone be it outer limits be it psycho uh, Repulsion even, which, you know, as I said, great psychological horror film. Um, I've just always had a soft spot for black and white. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, I said near, near the end of the movie, all of these ghouls. Now, one thing I almost forgot to say is I do believe that she actually sees herself as a ghoul at the end of the film that's actually dancing with the phantom that has been pursuing her during the course of the movie. 
So she actually sees her dead self, if you will. And the carnival that they're actually dancing at, it used to be a dance hall um, before it became a carnival. So that's where the whole kind of dance aspect comes in. And I believe they actually used a lot of professional dancers at the end of the movie for that for that scene as well. So, um, yeah. Uh, that's pretty much all I really want to say. Um, just a, well, just a couple of other things as well. There's kind of like little hints in the movie, um, if you will. Um, for example, I think there's actually a moment where she just, um, it's the priest talking to her and he actually says, and this is quite important, he says that he take, it takes more than intellect to be a musician, to do what you do. You should put your soul into it. And then there's a moment later on in the movie, I believe it's the other priest that speaks to her, and he actually says, or it's the same priest, and he actually says, I feel sorry for you and your lack of soul. Because she's actually playing this 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 um, this score, this piece that she wasn't meant to play. This is the moment where it's like she's become possessed. And he says, yeah, I am feel sorry for you and your lack of soul. Well, that's the thing. She's essentially lost her soul. She is in this state of limbo now, which kind of probably explains the weirdness, the fact that she's very much a shadow of her former self, perhaps. But um, yeah, so yeah, that's all I really want to talk about. Uh, Carnival of Souls, love the film. And uh, yeah, I've seen it many times and uh, it's not really a movie I ever get bored of. Um, it's a film that I return to um, quite often. So... So thanks a lot to everyone that listened, and if you've liked what you've heard, please feel free to subscribe, and I'll be back again soon to haunt you and torment you. Take care.